Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. It's my joy today to introduce to you my oldest son, Jesse Stewart, who is joining me in this ministry. Doing a killer job as always, man. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. For those in this room that don't know me, my name is Jesse. I have the amazing, awesome privilege and opportunity to be the college pastor here at Summit for Ignite. And we are, thank you, thank you. You know, it's two people every time, and I appreciate that. Um, now, I do. I love you guys, and man, I love my job, and I love, love Tuesday nights, because it's an opportunity for us to come together, worship together, and then spend some time in God's Word. And so if you have your Bible, go ahead and open your Bible up to 1 John. That's where we're going to be tonight, is in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, if you weren't with us last week, we started a new series in the book of 1 John. So the person who wrote 1 John is John, the disciple of Jesus, also the person who wrote the Gospel of John. And what we've been doing in the series is really, as Josh mentioned, walking through the series, looking at some of the lies that we believe as followers of Jesus. Because one of the biggest hindrances in our relationship with God we don't often realize are the lies that we believe. The lies that Satan gets us, our enemy, to fall into. And so what we talked about last week is there's three different areas that Satan really attacks. And we see this even in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. He gets us to really believe or ask, the, you know, ask, believe lies about who God is, who we are, and what is the good life. And so what we've been talking about is the reason that we want to expose these lies is because when we find ourselves believing them, we don't get to experience what it means to be fully loved and fully known by God. What it means to have this relationship with God that we're called to flourish in and experience this intimacy and this authenticity with him because we're not afraid of what might be going on in our lives, but instead we're choosing to trust him and love him and pursue him. And so First John is the book that we're walking through in order to help us uncover some of these lies, expose them, and then instead walk in the truth so that we can fully understand what it means to experience the love of God fully and to be known by him fully. So 1 John chapter 2, and a little bit later, we'll be jumping into verse 28 together, exposing another lie. But before we do that, let me just pray for us and just ask God to show up and do something amazing tonight. Man, God, this has been such an amazing night already just to sit here and to sing about your great love for us and to spend time just worshiping you and praising you for a God who meets us in the brokenness and in the hard times in our lives, Lord. And so tonight, God, I pray that you would just continue to speak through us. I admit, God, my complete and utter dependency upon you as we take some time to open your word. And so my prayer, God, is that you would speak through me for your glory and for your renown. My prayer, God, is that we would spend time in your word, that we'd expose the lies of the enemy, and then every single person in this room tonight would walk out of this place with a deeper love for you and a deeper desire to look more like your son. And we pray this in the great and awesome name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So a couple months ago, my brother reached out to me. He said that he was going to be taking his family, along with one of my nephews, because it was his birthday coming up, to the movies, and he wanted to see if I could help him out. See, they were fostering a nine-month-old, and so he wanted to know if I was free for a few hours to watch this baby so that they could enjoy a time at the movies. And so, of course, I was like, absolutely, I would love to be able to help them out. And I also wanted to do it because I knew that my oldest son, Ezra, who's six, would really enjoy it. Because Ezra absolutely loves babies. He's not really around them, but he loves them. In fact, he loves them so much that often in his life, he'll pretend like he is one, which is a little bit strange, and we should probably look into like the psychological reasons for that. But it's cute, so we just kind of go with it, right? I mean, again, he's six, he's young, so we just, we just kind of roll with it, but, um, but loves babies. And so the afternoon, they drop him off at her house, and so immediately once I get the little boy, I put him down in our living room on the floor because I knew that my boys, but particularly Ezra, wanted to play with him. And man, Ezra was so excited to have this little baby here, so much so that he starts grabbing some of his favorite toys and bringing them over to this baby so that he could play with them which is super sweet, right? 
But I realized very quickly that all these toys that he is bringing him are like not appropriate for a nine-month-old. Like these toys that this baby could easily like poke in his eye or start to eat and choke on. And so even though it's really sweet that he's bringing these toys over here, I'm like having to constantly grab them and like move them over to the side so that this kid doesn't do something bad with them. Okay. Um, so in the midst of all this happening, I, somehow I stopped paying attention. I don't remember what was going on. Um, probably something on TV. I don't know. So I kind of lose my attention for a second. And in, the, in that moment, Ezra gives this little boy a piece of paper, which honestly was probably something that he drew because he loves drawing things for people. And so as I'm just kind of sitting there, not really focused on what's happening, the little boy grabs the paper and he kind of starts to shake it. And so, of course, Ezra thinks this is funny. He thinks, oh, this is so, you know, cute. And so he says something like, Dad, look, look what's happening, thinking that I'm going to laugh. But to his surprise, Daddy ain't laughing. Because at this point, I'm just so irritated with all the stuff that Ezra is giving to this little boy that I just snap at him. And I'm like, Ezra, no, you do not give a nine-month-old piece of paper. They're going to eat it. And so then I take the paper out of the kid's hand. But as soon as I say this, these crocodile tears start filling up in Ezra's eyes. And in the most pitiful voice I have ever heard in my life, he says, Daddy, I don't know what to do around a nine-month-old. And then he just starts crying. And I'm like, man, who's the worst dad in the world? Me, right now, in this moment. Now, I felt horrible. I mean, I felt horrible. And the reason I felt so bad was because he was right. As I mentioned, Ezra didn't spend time around babies, so he didn't know how to act around one. He didn't know what to do, what not to do, what to give him, what not to give him. He was unaware of what it meant to be around a baby this age. And so what he didn't need was a father snapping at him. Instead, what he needed in that moment was someone to teach him, just someone to guide him. To tell him that when you're around a baby, this is what you do, this is how you act, this is what's right, and this is what wrong, is wrong. So on that day, since Ezra is still just a little kid, he needed somebody to help guide him. And see, unlike me that afternoon, John, the person who's writing this letter, is playing that role to the church that he's pinning this letter to. Because as we talked about last week, some people have come into this congregation and they've started spreading lies. Lies about who God is. Lies about who these people are. And lies about what is the good life. And even right before the passage that we're looking at today, we see that one of the lies that these people tried to get this church to believe was this idea that Jesus isn't the Christ, that he's not the long-awaited Messiah. I mean, right, one of the biggest theological truths that we believe these people were trying to deceive this church into thinking something differently. And so John is playing this parent type of figure, and he's writing to this church to help guide them, to teach them the truth of the gospel so they know what to do and what not to do, what to believe and what not to believe, and how to act and how not to act. In fact, as we jump into verse 28 of chapter 2, we see this in the fact that John refers to these people as little children, he is here trying to help guide them. Because look what he says. He's talking about Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. That's what we're going to pick up tonight. Listen to what John says to them. He says, and now, little children, abide in him, being Jesus, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so again, as John is trying to help these people who've been deceived into believing something that wasn't true, he tells them, don't believe the lie that Jesus isn't the Christ. Instead, choose to abide in Christ. And by using this phrase, abide in Christ, Jesus is clearly taking something 
from the words of Jesus himself. Because in John 15, when Jesus is just finishing having the last supper with his disciples, he has a conversation with them. And he tells these followers, these friends of him, to abide in him. In fact, he says it all throughout the beginning of John 15. But in verse 4 of John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. And he says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what John is doing is just as Jesus encouraged him to abide in him, just he encouraged John to abide in him, John is now encouraging us and these readers to abide in Jesus. Now the question is, what does that mean? And if you grew up in church, you've heard that phrase a lot. I've heard that phrase many times in my life. But what does it mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means to have a close, intimate relationship with him. That's what abiding in Jesus means. If you think about it, that's the kind of relationship that a branch and a vine has, right? They're linked together. They're in this close relationship. And so abiding in Jesus means that you have this close relationship with him where you trust him where you talk to him, where you obey him, where you enjoy him. You spend time resting in the amazing and great love that we just sung about that he has for you. In fact, Jesus says this a little bit differently in verse 19 of John 15 when he tells his disciples to abide in his love. That's the type of relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. He wants you to abide in his love, to have this close, intimate, personal relationship with him. And so what John says to us and what he says to these writers here in verse 29 is he says that we need to have this type of relationship because when Jesus comes back, when he returns to this earth, then we can have confidence. We can be confident in our salvation. We don't have to shrink from him in shame because we fear his judgment. Instead, we can stand strong. We can stand firm knowing how we stand in our relationship with him. That's what John's encouraging us to do here. And as Christians, we all want this type of confidence, don't we? We all want to be confident in our salvation. We all want to be secure in our relationship with Jesus. We want to know that if he came back tonight— that we would be happy to see him because we know that he would be proud to see us. I mean, all of us in this room, if you are a follower of Jesus, you long for that security. But as we talked about last week, even though at times in our life we do have this security, we enjoy because we feel like we're enjoying this relationship with him, where we're walking with him, and we're obeying him, we're in the light. Like John says in his first John chapter 1, even though there's moments in our life that we get that, if we're honest, there are also times in our lives that we don't feel that way. We don't have the confidence that John is talking about here. We don't feel secure in our relationship with Jesus. And it's because even now, we find ourselves shrinking from him in shame. And maybe for you, the times in your life that you experience shame is when you think back to all the things that you used to do that now just fill you with regret. Or maybe for you, it's that sin that you just keep going back to over and over and over again that so easily entangles you. For some of you, maybe the shame that you have in your life is because of what you did this past weekend or maybe even just last night. Whatever it might be for you, we all know what it's like to feel shame and to not be secure in our relationship with God because of how we're living our lives, because of the choices that we're making, because the things that we are doing. And so what happens in those moments is because we aren't abiding in God's love, we start to doubt his love for us. Because we aren't abiding and having this close relationship with him the way that we should, we really start to doubt how much he really loves us. And in those moments, we find ourselves thinking that in those moments that we find ourselves doubting, that is exactly where the enemy wants us to be. He wants us doubting God's love where the only thing that we focus on is what we're doing or what we're not doing for him. 
Because when he gets us in that moment, when we find ourselves there, then we find ourselves believing a common lie that oftentimes we don't even question. And here's what that lie is. That God's love for me depends on what I do for him. That God's love for me depends on what I do for him. Because what the enemy wants you to believe tonight is that God's love for you has conditions. He wants you to believe that if you are pursuing God the way that you should, if you're abiding him, if you're obeying him, if you're doing all the things that you know you're supposed to do as a Christian, then in that moment, God's got this great love for you. He's proud of you. He likes you. He's excited about what you're doing, and he's just, his love for you is strong and is growing. But he also wants you to believe that in the moments that you find yourself walking back into the darkness, as we talked about last week, giving into your strongest desire instead of your deepest one, he wants you to think that that, God, that love that God has for you is starting to change, starting to weaken a little bit. It's not nearly as strong as it used to be. He's not nearly the type of father in your life that he used to be. And so now, you feel like you have to start doing better again in order to get God back to the point that his love for you is strong. And it's so important that we recognize this lie because this is why so many times in our lives we aren't secure in our relationship with God. We don't have the confidence that John talks about here. This is the reason that we find ourselves shrinking down from him in shame. Because what we believe in our lives and what we're afraid of in our lives is that we can do something that can cause God's love to lessen. That we can do something in our lives that maybe can even cause God's love to be lost. And so it's all about what we do. It's all about how we act. And when we do things right, God loves us. When we don't do things right, he doesn't love us as much. And so we find ourselves living in this roller coaster in our relationship with God, thinking that our love, excuse me, that his love for us depends on what we do for him. And that's what the enemy is breathing into our lives today. That is what he wants us to find ourselves falling into, thinking that God's love is conditional. And it's amazing how many times we see God's love as conditional and we don't even question it. We just assume that it's true. And it robs us of so much joy, so much happiness, so much freedom in our relationship with him because we're constantly walking around in fear, afraid that we're gonna do something that's gonna cause God to love us less. But even though it's so easy for us to think that God's love for us is based on what we do, when we continue to read, we see that John tells us that we need to place our confidence elsewhere. Because he tells us that it's not about what we do, but it's about who we already are that can allow us to be secure in our relationship with God. Because look what he says starting in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. John is saying something here that is so encouraging and so liberating. In fact, I would say this is one of the most freeing verses in all of the Bible because what John is saying here is the true heart that your Father has for you. And he's saying that your father's love is so intimate, it's so great, it is so personal that he calls you his child. That is the name that God has chosen to give you. That is the label that the God of the universe has placed on those who choose to follow Jesus. And here's what is so amazing about the title or the label child. Is that it's not earned, but it's given. None of us in this room earned the title child, right? None of us did anything to cause our parents to say, you know what, you're my child, right? Instead, it was something that was given to us. And we see, even see that in this passage. What does John say at the beginning? See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. It's because of God's affection for you. It's because of how much God loves you that he chooses on his own to refer to you as his child. 
It's not because of what you do, but it's because of who he is. And so what that means for us is that God's love is unconditional. God's love for you in this room is unconditional. It's not based on what you do. Instead, it's based on who he is. And so what that means for us is that we can abide in his love because we already belong in his family. It's not the other way around. We, we often confuse that, right? We think, man, if we do the right stuff, if we abide in him, if we do what God wants us to do, then God will love us. Then we'll have this relationship with him that's secure. But John's saying that's not how it worked. God has given you this label. God has chosen to call you his child. And now because of that, you abide in his love. Now because of that, you follow and walk in a close, intimate relationship with him. Because God's love for you is unconditional. But here's the thing. Even though these verses are so liberating, even though these verses are so encouraging, for so many of us in the room tonight, it doesn't really feel like it. It doesn't really seem like it's really, this is really that amazing. And here's why. Because there's another lie that the enemy wants to deceive you into believing. A lie that so many of us, myself included, have unfortunately chosen to think is true. And it's the idea that your heavenly father mimics all the flaws of fatherhood that you've seen throughout your life. Because the reality is all of us have seen the flaws of our fathers. Just like my son a few months ago, we all know what it's like to have our dad snap at us even though we didn't deserve it. All of us know what it's like for our dad not to want to spend time with us because he doesn't have the time because he's so caught up in his job. We all know what it's like to have a dad who because of his life choices isn't as present in our lives as we want him to be. All fathers, even the great ones, have flaws. And so what we do is we take those and we project them onto God. And we see our God as a reflection of our fathers. And so what that means is that we feel like we, that we have to gain his approval by what we do. We feel like how we act determines whether or not his love for us will grow or whether or not it, was, it will weaken. We think that if we stop disappointing him as much, then maybe he'll just be a little bit more present in our life, whether emotionally or physically. And this is why so often in our lives, we're afraid that what we do jeopardizes God's love for us. Because unfortunately, maybe we've already seen that in our own life with our own fathers. And so instead of walking in our relationship with God with confidence, we walk with insecurity. We find ourselves shrinking from him in shame because we fear his rejection. We do afraid he's going to walk out on us. Or at some point, he's going to get so sick and tired of us not getting it right that he's going to say, I'm done. But there's something that I heard years ago that has been so revolutionary for me in my relationship with God something that Louis Giglio said. He's the pastor of Passion City Church. He leads the Passion Conferences. This is what Louis said that changed how I saw God. He said, God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He is a perfection of him. God doesn't reflect our earthly fathers. Instead, he is a perfection of him, which means everything that we dislike about our dads or other dads that we've seen in our lives, God doesn't have that. God never snaps at us when we don't deserve it. God never is too busy that he doesn't have time for us. God is never absent from our life because he wants to be or because he has to be. And so what that means for us is that we don't have to try to earn God's approval in our lives. We don't have to do better so that his love for us will grow. It means that we don't have to find ourselves, try not to disappoint him because maybe if we don't, he'll be a little bit more present in our lives. None of that is who God is. Your father is perfect. Your heavenly father loves you and pursues you and has a relationship with you because he wants you to, not because he has to, because he desires to be present in your life, because he longs to know you, because he wants 
wants to know you and because he pursued you so that he could know you. That is who your God is and that is how much he loves you. God's love for you is unconditional and now you've received a name that is unchangeable. That is who your God is and that is who you need to see him to be. And that is who your perfect father in heaven, that is who he is. That is what his heart is like. But the enemy wants to come into your life and he wants to get you to doubt that. He wants you to believe something different. And he wants you to feel like that you aren't fully loved by God and that you're not truly his child. But the reality is that he is your father and you are his child. And there is nothing that you can do that can take away that identity. Nothing. And as John continues to write, he tells us that this life that we have with God is only going to get better. Because as he continues to talk about how we're children of God, look what he says in verse 2. He says, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, meaning Jesus, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And I love the confidence that John steps with here. He talks about how we are children of God. He says, yes, you are God's child. Yes, you are called to abide in him. But he says, one day, you'll see this even more clearly. One day, what you know to be true spiritually will one day be true physically. Because when Jesus, God's son, comes back as God's children, we will be made like him. That's what John says here. And he means several things about that. The first thing he means is just like Jesus received a resurrected, glorified body when he rose from the grave, that John says we'll receive that too. See, Jesus receives this body. That's why in the Gospels, there are times that the disciples aren't too sure who Jesus is, right? Because they don't recognize him because now he has this resurrected, glorified body. And because Jesus rose from the dead and conquered the grave, one day all of us who choose to put their faith in him will also receive this resurrected, glorified body. But here's what else it means. It means one day, just like Jesus, we will no longer struggle with the sin that we struggle with now. One day there'll be no more doubt. One day there'll be no more unbelief. One day we'll stop projecting the flaws of our fathers onto God. One day there'll be a time in our lives where we will always fully abide in him as we live out this amazing reality that we know we are always fully loved by him. We won't have to second guess that. We won't have to try to believe that. Instead, that will be a present reality that always takes place in our lives because our God and his love for us has taken us, made us like his son, and now we get to live in all eternity in his presence, in his joy, in his love, abiding in him because he was a God who chose first to come after us. And because one day we'll be made like Jesus, we can live in confidence today. We can live secure today. And the reason we can is because what Jesus did at his first coming can cause us not to be ashamed at his second. Because the reason that we are children of God, the reason we can have this confidence that God's love for us is unconditional was because he sent his one and only son down to this world to live a perfect life and then go to a cross so that what you do would not have to define you. And then three days later, he rose from the dead and conquered the grave. So now you could, be you could be given this new name. Now you could receive this new identity as God's child. And that nothing that you do, as shameful or horrible as it is, could ever erase that identity in your life. And so now, as those who belong to this father, to those who receive this unconditional love, what we're called to do is follow him. 
What we're called to do is abide and enjoy this close, intimate relationship with God where we talk to him, where we trust him, where we walk with him, where we obey him, and where we get to rest in everything that he's done for us. But in the moments in your life that you fall short, the moments in your life that you don't walk in the light or you find yourself going back to that sin that so easily entangles you, don't for a second believe the lie of the enemy. Don't for a second believe that God's love for you depends on what you do for him. Because you're a child now. And his love for you isn't based on what you do, it's based on who he is. And so instead of believing that lie, here's the truth that we believe. This is the truth that we walk in, that God's love for you never lessens. That's the beauty of what we see here. There is nothing that you can do in your life to cause God's love to become any less. Because of the cross, because of Jesus, you are now fully loved with God, by God. The love that God has for you is complete. There's nothing that can add to it. There's nothing that you can do that can make it greater, and there's nothing that you can do that can make it go away. God fully loves you right here, right now, because of Jesus. That is the truth that we have to walk in. In fact, there's a pastor named J.D. Greer who is at another summit church in North Carolina, and he has something called the Gospel Prayer. And this is the beginning of the Gospel Prayer that is so encouraging that connects directly to what we're talking about tonight. And here's what he says. He says, because I'm in Christ, there is nothing that I've done that can make you love me less. Speaking of God, and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. There's nothing that you can do tonight that can make God's love for you become any greater than it already is. Ignite. See what kind of love that your father has given to you that you are called a child of God. And tonight, that's exactly what we are. You have a name that's unchangeable because God has given you a love that's unconditional. And so, Van, you guys can come on up because here's what we're going to end with tonight. Here's my simple challenge to you based upon the passage that we looked at tonight. And that's to believe this. Don't let the enemy win. Don't let him deceive you into thinking that God's love for you can weaken based upon what you do. Because if you're his child, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you belong to him, God already fully loves you. And so don't walk away tonight hearing this, but then going back to believing the lies of the enemy. Instead, choose to believe this, that God's love for you never lessens. Let that motivate you to abide in him. Let that give you the confidence in your relationship with him and allow that to cause you to never shrink in shame at the sight of him. Because of Jesus, your God loves you, and there's nothing that you can do in your life that can cause that love to become any less. That's the freedom. That's the encouragement. That's the liberation that all of us need to walk in and believe tonight. You follow after Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you so much for the freedom that we have, that we are children of God, and one day this spiritual reality will become a physical one when, Jesus, you return and you cause us to be like you. But as we long for that day, as we wait for that day, as we hope for that day, Lord, may we realize now that we can walk in the confidence that we are God's children because of what you accomplished for us on the cross because of what you did when you came down to this earth, can allow us to live in the freedom of knowing that there is nothing that we can do that can cause your love to go away. So may we not believe the lie of the enemy that your love for us depends on what we do for you, but may we rest in the fact that your love for us doesn't have conditions. Instead, it's given to us because you love us and because you want to have a relationship with us. And for those in this room tonight, God, who don't know you, who've never received that love, who've never received the forgiveness, who don't know what it's like to call themselves a child of God, may tonight they make that step. May tonight they see that what they do doesn't have to define who they are, but instead, because of the cross, they can experience freedom and forgiveness and love from a God who is perfect in every single way.
May we walk in that tonight and may we find freedom in that tonight. And may you be glorified in our lives because of this tonight. And we pray this in the great name of our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen.
For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels or rulers, things present or things to come, no power, height, depth, or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you for your great love for us that you've proven by dying for us on the cross, Lord. And you didn't just die for us when we loved you and pursued you, but you actually died for us while we were still your enemies, while we were still rebelling against you. You came and proved your love by dying for us. So I pray that we would leave this place rejoicing and resting in that, Lord. I pray that every person in here that is your child, that is following you through faith and love, that they would have a joy that follows them now and throughout their lives, Lord, as they recall and bring to mind the truth of your love for us. And would you help us by your spirit to remember this truth, God, in the the times when we mess up and in the times when we're suffering and in the times when it's hard to believe, I pray that you would bring that to mind constantly and that you would connect it to our hearts. And would you help us to share this love with the people around us, Lord, with our roommates and our families and our classmates uh, and everyone on the campus of FGCU, God, that all students would know your love because we sought to share it with them. Would you empower us to do that, Lord? We love you and we praise you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Welcome, everybody. You can take a seat. Glad to have you back for our second week. Yay, it's good to be here. Uh, Last week I said if you're new, we're going to go ahead and kick off community groups soon. Yay, community groups. Yes. Yay, community groups. (laughs) Community groups are the best way to get connected here. They're small groups of guys and girls that meet throughout the week. So if you're not already plugged into one, you can do that right now in the back by going, oh, Sarah's back there tonight. That's fun. Yay, Sarah. Good wave. Sarah's back there at the Ignite table. She'll sign you up, and you can also do that on our app. Go to the app store, type in FGCU Ignite, and you can also go sign up for coffee connections there or in the back. So if you're new, uh, don't know many people, that's where a leader will take you out to coffee. That's right, free coffee, people, and the price of friendship is priceless. The price of friendship is priceless, and that's what you get at a coffee connection, so go do that. Anyone in this room? engaged or wanting to be married sometime soon okay okay I'll take that I really had no idea what the status was there ring by spring am I right well if you happen to be in that category or you have a friend that's in that category meaning you're uh getting married in three to twelve months Summit offers a premarital class but the deadline ends next week so make sure you sign up for that and if you're not there yet you'll get there ring by spring you're at Ignite. Just just stay at Ignite, okay? And it'll happen. Just stay. Stay put. All right. And we also have a special surprise happening. So everybody, give it up for Christine. We love Christine. Christine is our Summit Kids Director, and she's going to tell you a little bit about what they do there. And stay tuned because she's going to tell you how to get service learning hours, Okay. Thanks for that little plug. Good evening, guys. Good evening. I'm not going to lie. I just got a notification on my phone that said that it's almost my bedtime and I need to start winding down. So I'm going to lean on this dialogue here. But I just wanted to um, formally introduce myself. I know Kyle came, if you were here in the fall, and talked a little bit about Summit Kids um, because I was unable to. So I'm just really excited tonight to be able to be here and see your faces and hopefully eventually connect with you individually. Um, Just a little bit about me. I am married with two teenagers, um, and I've been a part of Summit for about 13 years. And I started in the kids' ministry as a volunteer, and I was just hooked. Like, just being with the kids and watching them grow in their love for Jesus. Um, And then I'm also a former teacher, so my mission field changed into the public school system. And now I'm back as the director at Summit Kids. So I'm super excited about everything that God has um, planned for the ministry through volunteers um, and through the children as well. Okay, so... Why am I here? Three main reasons. 
One is to give you all insight in uh, the ministry in the hope that you'll feel led to want to know more. And then two is to extend that opportunity to be a part of a fun team. We have a lot of fun together, not just with the kids, but with each other, the volunteers and the team itself, um, and the opportunity to disciple children in the good news. And then the third one, honestly, is to encourage you to serve. So even if it's not in kids' ministry, we need to remember that um, Jesus came to us as the ultimate server. So, and when we serve, we grow so much, especially spiritually. So this might be a ministry that you can plug into um, where you can serve and grow. So instead of me telling you about it, I'd rather show you through some of our superhero volunteers. <laughs> Get excited, please. Cue music. Children enter our rooms with all kinds of emotions. Excited, tired, sad, and scared. We get the chance to meet them where they're at and show them God's love and grace. This is sometimes a perfect opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, especially patience. You'll be able to spend time worshiping with them, worshiping with them, good job, help them navigate the Bible, pray for and with them, and we love to have fun and play interactive games to help them connect with what they're learning. Great job, Brandon. Some volunteers enjoy leading and teaching from the front. Others, others prefer the intimate setting of small group time where they're able to talk with the kids about what they learn and how it relates to them. Talk about what's going on in their lives. They ask questions that you may or may not know, and that's okay. You're growing in the word together. The kids are funny. They're funny insightful, compassionate, and yes, challenging sometimes too, as they are clearly showing you. But aren't we all those things as well? So, with all that being said, and all the silliness and, and fun included and aside as well, we're asking you to prayerfully consider joining our team. So we want more superheroes, volunteers, pointing our kids to the ultimate rescuer, which is Jesus. We have opportunities in the elementary room, which is where a lot of our superheroes serve right now. Um, and if the elementary room is not your thing, we have the preschool rooms and the nursery rooms. Every single one of those rooms is important um, to our ministry. And you don't need a teaching degree. Okay, our team will support and guide you through it all. And as Jenny mentioned, bonus side note, you can earn service hours as well. So if you have any questions or you want to know more, just come and chat with me in the back. There'll be a QR code. You're not signing your life away. The QR code is just saying, hey, I'm interested in knowing more, and I want to know uh, about specific parts of the ministry. And then we'll reach out to you and give you more details. If you like, I am committed. This is something that the Lord's been laying on my heart. Then we have a volunteer um, postcard that has a link on it that you can apply for the application. Um, so at this point, I'm going to hand the mic over to Brandon. Ooh, give him a hand. He does such a good job playing a child, doesn't he? Thank you. Can we give a hand up for Christine? Woo! It takes big hearts to teach little minds, okay? So, yes, um, honestly, guys, Christine's going to the back. You should really consider serving with kids. It's, it's honestly just such a, a blessing to get to see these little children uh, come to know the Lord. But also, you do get service learning hours, so... If for some reason the Lord isn't enough, that should motivate you. But also, a couple more announcements. Um, if you want to sign up for intramurals for Ignite, our football team almost won the championship. Can we hear it for our football team? Woo! But we have another opportunity 
to win. So come see our Iron Man, okay? He will get you info on our intramural teams. Also, men, young men, college men, we're having a cornhole tournament this Saturday, okay? So it'll be $5 to sign up. Um, we would just post the link on our story. So if you're interested in coming, we'll have all the details there. All right? So make sure you're there. There is a prize, and they're pretty good prizes. So, and there's, there's some, we'll be playing the older men. So just younger versus older. I believe that's everything, all right? So we'll see you guys later. And go see Christine. Wait, what? Oh, never mind. You're good. You're good.